While there are a handful of neighborhoods that uh, have gotten a lot more expensive and the real estate's appreciated, the population that is, is living there is, has higher incomes and can afford that. The, actually, um, most neighborhoods in Philadelphia have gotten poorer. So, like, I know that the, the story is about this, like, renaissance or this building boom, and, like, that's the story that people keep telling, but it's actually, it's just very specific to, to a handful of neighborhoods. <laughs> Welcome to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show, the program that shines a spotlight on positive real estate development and neighborhood revitalization in the city of brotherly love. Coming to you live from the G-Town Radio Studio on Maplewood Mall in Germantown. Here's your host, Alina DeLisser. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show. It's been a while since I've been here, so it's good to be back on the air with you guys. Um, Well, today we're going to be talking about affordable housing, which is a growing issue everywhere. But here in Philadelphia, the problem is particularly acute. Um, In fact, within the last decade, Philadelphia has lost approximately 20% of its uh, low cost um, and affordable housing due to numerous factors. And meanwhile, both here and Philadelphia, both here in Philadelphia and across the country, household income, particularly among the poor and working class, isn't keeping up with the rate of inflation. So my guest today is Ross Hennessy. Uh, he's the founder of Rigby Housing, a social enterprise firm here in Germantown that is working to provide affordable housing to low-income residents. Welcome to the show, Ross. Thanks. Glad to be here. So, Ross, uh, tell us a little bit more about your background, because I didn't flesh that out for our audience. Yeah. You, where are you from? Uh, um, I've been in Philadelphia for about uh, 15 years, 14 years, um, uh, originally from Texas uh, before, before making, making my way over here. So. And what brought you to the, to the East Coast, to Philadelphia? Mm, I followed a, a woman here uh, after college, and so I've stuck around ever since, though. Did that work out? Or? <laughs> I mean, for a while. Oh, but, okay. Yeah. <laughs> But you felt you got another lady, yeah, the well, city of Philadelphia, exactly, right? Exactly. Okay. Okay. Great. Yeah. So, um, so Ross, how did you get interested in real estate? Uh, I've been interested in um, communities, and I've been been interested in neighborhoods, uh, and just sort of the dynamic of of people trying to like live together and and um, share space together for for a long time. When I moved to Germantown uh, eleven years ago. There was a particular. I mean, it's it's just so like acute the the um, the historic housing and the beauty and also the sort of dilapidation and, and and the lack of investment and stuff. It's it's just really it's just really obvious here uh, in a way that uh, was surprising. Um, yeah. And uh, it's like a neighborhood with good bones. Yeah, and and I, I you know there was a lot of like buzz around different neighborhoods at the time and so i was really surprised when i moved to germantown i felt like i was like why like how has this been missed um right and so uh yeah i don't know i I just got i got pretty excited at the same time i was living in in sort of a communal house in in sort of deep kensington like kensington and allegheny and we had friends that uh, were trying to start an urban farm on frankfurt ave at the time 
They had land that was uh, owned by New Kensington CDC at the time, and um, they were <clears throat> being asked to move off of that lot that they were growing on in order to make space for some housing developments. Um, and so we took advantage of that opportunity to be like, hey, let's all go in together on a, a house that we could share and live live in, and they could have like their urban farm. So yeah, we, we looked all over Philadelphia and Germantown by far had the most affordable large houses and lots uh, for them to start their urban farm. So that was kind of like the beginning of... So that was in 2011, 2012? We just hit the 11 year anniversary. Oh, oh okay. Wow. So, yeah. so um, going to 2009. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Great. So that was that was kind of like your first foray into... And you didn't even really realize that was development. That was yeah, just no, no, no. A living I thought, situation, yeah, right? I thought. I, I mean, I, I was uh, interested in community, right? So it was, but to to have a community, I, I feel like you have to have a space to can like host it, and so that was right. really what we were looking for, right? So that ended up being um, a group of people with uh, land that you guys were basically you were planting food there. I mean, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so um, it's it's still. Uh, the, the farm is uh, Germantown Kitchen Garden. Oh, so, okay, great. Yeah, so Amanda Staples is the farmer. Uh, that lot, yeah, her and her husband at the time bought the lot, and I bought the house um, from the. It was the same owner that owned both of them. Nice. Um, combined, the house and the lot was uh, an acre and a half, maybe, um, wow. of land. Yeah, and we were able to. <laughs> We were, you know, then we were able to get all of it for it was like two hundred ninety thousand dollars or something like that for you know one of the big Victorians and like a, a huge lot. Right. We sort of had this division of roles because I was really interested in rehabbing the house and they were really interested in uh, converting this abandoned lot into something that they into, could grow food on. Right, right. I sort of like taught myself how to do basic rehabs and they already knew how to farm, so they. Um, so it was like a good uh, yin and yang, good match. Yeah, yeah, right yeah. There. That's yeah. great. So, um, so you and I originally met five years ago. We were both in the very first class of the Jumpstart Germantown program. Can you talk about why you signed up for it and mm. what did you get out of it? Um, and I can't believe it's been five years. I know it's pretty wild. <laughs> uh, at the time, I was working for uh, a nonprofit called Quaker Voluntary Service. Um, uh, which is sort of a, a national program that places young adults mostly right after college in sort of year-long internships doing social justice work and um, living in community and and that and that was my my like full-time thing but it I mean the nonprofit world can uh, be very demanding of <laughs> like emotionally demanding right, like 24 7 yeah, yeah that and um, uh, and I, and I could see sort of the like end of that, like you were going to burn out. Yeah, mm-hmm. and but I also I I wanted to continue to do something that mattered, that was had had impact. Thinking about housing, um, thinking about uh, yeah, just like working in a particular neighborhood and in a particular community where you could see your impact. Yeah, and like you know the people who are being helped and it's it's not abstract it's like very like concrete and tangible and so i think that was like what was attractive to start doing housing uh after after doing the this like nonprofit work for a while um and i also was like very interested in just like learning something new and 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 learning um i I had never (laughs) when i was like 22 i had tried to start making like chocolate 
fair trade chocolate bars out of my kitchen. And that was like the first time I tried to do like a for profit anything. And it was such a bust. It was like such like a fail. I mean, the, the chocolate bars are really good, but like the, the just like I had no idea what <laughs> I was the, doing. Right. I'm like, a, I'm like a history good. major. Okay, I'm like, right. a, you know, I like had no idea what I was doing. But um, so I, I kind of also wanted to just be like, all right, like, let's let's try this again. Like, I, I think that the for profit world like offers some like really interesting challenges that are different than the nonprofit world and stuff like that. So there, there was some of that, too, just like wanting to like learn a new industry field and stuff like that but also you know have an, have a positive impact right so. right right so yeah so so the jumpstart program kind of melded these two two worlds because it was providing uh, a business framework and the foundation for how to analyze properties how to analyze deals how to come up with a construction budget and then obviously focusing on the germantown neighborhood right for as you said, to make an impact. Uh, my business partner is uh, Frank Reese, and he's been in Germantown for 30-something years, 40 years. And he has a construction firm, uh, Walnut Tree Construction, and they do a lot of like historic renovations and all over the city. And all, uh, But he also, he has a, a house that, community house that um, supports a lot of local musicians, and they have sh- they have music shows there. And I met him through that. And we sort of had a similar ethos and like a pro- just like approach to life and, and work. And so um, he was the one who invited me to do the Jumpstart program to begin with as someone who's been like so invested in the neighborhood for so long. And he saw it as an opportunity to and was already doing construction, but he was just working in different neighborhoods. So he was actually the one who was just like, I think this would work. I think this would be great. And that partnership has actually been like so vital to everything that we've done just because we we're, we have such complementary skill sets and, and he's been like a real like mentor for me as someone who has run a successful business for, you know, his whole life pretty much. Right. So. Right. Well, that's great. That's great. So, um, what was your first, uh, project after doing the, the jumpstart Germantown program? Did, was it with Frank or was yeah, it yeah, yeah. Did, okay. Yeah, we did, uh, um, do you mo- remember what it was? most of, it was a, a three bedroom house on, um, Lena street, um, in East Germantown. Most of the stuff we've done is sort of these like smaller two, three bedroom row houses, almost everything on, on the East side of the Avenue in the neighbor, like that's the neighborhood that both Frank and I live in. And so, uh, it's also, I think the one that was hit the hardest by the divestment, like historically, because our model is one that we want to keep rents down. Uh, it requires investing in, parts of the neighborhood that have been the most appreciated historically and stuff okay. like that. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's back up a little bit. Um, in terms of Rigby housing, um, what is there a name? What, where, what's the story behind the name? Uh, it's actually Frank's uh, house. He calls Rigby mansion as like the, the music venue aspect of it. And so when they host concerts and stuff, it's, it's uh, at, okay. at, at Rigby mansion. And, and so we just thought of it as sort of a continuation of largely his commitment to the neighborhood okay. and, and things like that yeah okay but it's it's a it's a beatles reference so that's why i thought eleanor yeah. rigby yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay yeah. so yeah i wasn't sure if it was like something in your family or no whatever, no but... it's it's just about the, about feel the love of music and okay. and yeah i like it yeah. i like it so you know in terms of the situation in philadelphia give us a little bit more of the context of what's been happening here and how how do you define the market for affordable housing i mean what is it what income bracket are we talking about i mean when i moved here you know it was before 
Fishtown happened. It was like before West Philly happened, and you know, it was like all like so all that stuff was was just starting. And I think that it was very exciting because, like, come right out of college, like I did, and have no money and no job, and get find a place like really cheap. And there was like a whole there was all this energy of people that were just like doing really creative things. And you know, it, it didn't Philly didn't have like a, a national reputation of being like a hip and cool place, and like all that's changing. So there just seems like there's a lot of people that are moving in, and they there's a lot of folks who can like aff- afford uh, nicer nicer stuff, and like there's a there's a real building boom. And and I, I've been here long enough now to like watch as that's happened. I, I do think it seems to be happening in like some neighborhoods. From from what I was just reading, um, the paper just put an article out, the Enquirer, saying that um, while there are a handful of neighborhoods that uh, have gotten a lot more expensive and the real estate's appreciated, the population has. Uh, that is is living there is has a higher income has higher incomes and can afford that the actually um most neighborhoods in Philadelphia have gotten poorer so like i know that like the story is about this like renaissance or this building boom and like that's the story that people keep telling but it's 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 actually uh it's just very specific to to a handful of neighborhoods and not, yeah. it's not citywide yeah it's a very interesting dichotomy because um i had read a stat that um um I think as recently as like 2015, um, Philadelphia was second only to Detroit Mm. with a number of vacant and abandoned properties. And the issue is that with Philadelphia, it's clustered Mm -hmm. and certain neighborhoods, whereas Detroit, some of that abandoned neighborhood stuff was happening close to the downtown, Mm -hmm. central business district. So Mm -hmm. it's really, for the people in the suburbs, very in their face, you know, driving (laughs) to downtown Detroit seeing all these abandoned yeah. buildings whereas in Philadelphia it's 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 you know there are these pockets yeah where it's really you know the yeah. land the land that time forgot yeah Philadelphia no Philadelphia is is really i mean you know you know i was from I was from Dallas and um it's also sort of this like sort of sprawling megalopolis or whatever mm-hmm. of of just interstates and and the blurring of neighborhoods and things like that um but yeah moving to Philadelphia where it, there was such clear sense of boundaries and like identity with neighborhoods and, and things like that. And, and for that people have like a history of neighborhoods and how that relates to like ethnicity and race and like all of this stuff like really mattered, uh, matters. It continues to matter in uh, Philadelphia in a way that I think is unique. And, and it makes the issue more complicated. I, I just more like, I don't know, weighted or something mm-hmm. like that because mm-hmm. it's, it does intersect with racial justice. It does intersect with like economic justice and, and and the continuity of community that is attached to those you know identities and communities and stuff. So. Right, right. Well, I mean, you um, you feel very strongly that there can be positive real estate development without displacement. Yeah, I do. Uh, from doing this for five years, that there are limitations to what can be done with the market, and without, I, I think that there also has to be like some real intervention from nonprofits and the government and stuff like that particularly for the extremely low income um just i just can't figure out how you do market-based work for like for the rents that they could yeah 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 yeah. right right right. there is section eight but you know the the waiting list is 20 years long at this point or something like that and i I mean i don't know if that's exactly right but But it's it's been the waiting list has been closed the entire time that i've lived in philadelphia so I mean, it doesn't even come close to meeting the need or like the people that are eligible. So the vast majority of poor folk in Philadelphia 
have to, and this is true nationally, right? They have to get their housing on the market. That being said, what qualifies as low income according to the city of Philadelphia is based, I mean, this is all coming from um, the federal HUD, the Housing and Urban Development stats. It's percentage of area media income. We have found that we can find houses, stabilize them, um, and rent them out to folks that are at, say, to like 40% of the area media income, which is what the city defines as, as low income. And that would be people, you know, families making $40,000, something like that. And so <clears throat> what we're trying to do is work in neighborhoods that have been divested in so that the values of these properties have um, been forced down. I mean, and, you know, you'll hear people talk about naturally occurring affordable housing, which is like this like strange terminology that really is talking about like this, this history of divestment that was really, I mean, intentional from like the federal government all the way down in terms of moving people out of cities and into suburbs and, and the, the kind of like geographical I- ideals of the, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s cities like Philadelphia that used to have two million people ended up with a million and a half people and and just lots of abandonment right lots of and like the property values all tank and now people want to live in the city again right so there's all of these houses that are really affordable because of this history that you can we can purchase we can stabilize them and then we can rent them out but like you said earlier when we come in like those are going away right and and part of that's from blight part, part of that's just from like the entropy of houses right and mismanagement from like bad landlords and um so part of it is that like the sort of like slum and, and, yeah and the situation. city the city has to take a, a big part of the blame as well too so like you mean the city government yeah and, yeah there's uh, what say more i don't i don't know what, what you well mean in terms that. of the policies i mean there's uh i mean the city is one of the biggest um slum landlords oh in terms of you know a lot of the abandoned property is owned by the city i see and um, the situation with the land bank, uh-huh. that hasn't, um, you know, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. I don't know if you have any opinion about that. But in terms of promises that have been made mm-hmm. over the last decade, um, you know, from city leaders in terms of like, oh, we're going to do the land bank. We're going to uh-huh. do this. We're going to do that. And it's like, you know, really not really much to show for it right. so far. Yeah, it's confusing because I know uh, d- different council people have had different approaches to what to do with the land that they sort of have um, prerogative, you know. Yeah, it's, it's very futile. <laughs> it is. It feels it very is. futile because, I mean, yeah. there's certain people like, oh, well, my councilman, blah, blah. It's like, well, hmm. Yeah, so I know, I know, like, <laughs> some, some council persons have been, re- uh, have gotten a lot of flack for moving properties into the hands of developers and then folks are like, whoa, like, people are making a lot of profit off of, like, what was a public asset and then other council folks are kind of just like sitting on land and people are like whoa like there's all this land that's not being used for, for like the common good you know what i mean so it's it's kind of it's a very i don't i don't know if i like come down any which way on that but it does seem like the city has an amazing resource an yeah, asset that yeah. they're sitting on and they don't know what to do with it and they can't agree what to do with it and it could be and i and i feel i mean not to not to cut you off but i feel like we are in a moment in time as a society where there are more and more people like you, like Ken Weinstein, people who are um, who are looking at this from how can we do development in a way mm-hmm. that lifts all boats. Mm-hmm. There, there, yeah. I think there's I think there's more people with a business mindset as well as an empathetic, mm-hmm. compassionate mindset who want to do good. 
versus maybe 30, 40 50 years ago yeah i'm, I'm so, not sure i was you know I was just, but yeah I was, <laughs> you weren't even you weren't in but the i do hear but, that you know the, yeah. the 80s were a bit the me generation right, or whatever, right? So I, yeah. read is good but I'm, I'm just saying that you know the city of philadelphia if if we could just get our act together as a city uh-huh. this is my opinion i'm not you know you know this is my opinion i'm giving right now but i just feel like we we are this is a a perfect moment in the city's time to, you know, put some really good minds together in the public sector, the private sector, nonprofit sector, and you know, let's let's get something done. Yeah, and I, I mean, while we're talking about this, I am thinking about um, one of my friends from the neighborhood, Lindsay Stolke. She's she's done a lot of organizing around trying to get uh, like a community land trust together, and I think like that would be one model where the ownership of the land could be in the community, and it right. wouldn't it wouldn't it would be private hands. So it would be being used for something, but it would not be in the hands of like one developer or something like that. So, I mean, that's like an interesting model. Um, I'm, there's lots of different ideas out there. Lots right. of different, I'm not trying to say that there's no good solutions. Right. I right. just, the city hasn't come to consensus on what to do. And, 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 and that's know. what I think. Yeah. I think it's going to, it's going to take multiple solutions. I don't think it's mm-hmm. going to be one size that fits all, right. you know? So, but I think that there, I think there are more people now in the market that are wired like you who mm. want to find a way to layer the two, the two worlds together mm-hmm. and see what can make it work as opposed to just coming in with, okay, well we got to, we got to build market rate housing. That's mm-hmm. the only way this is going to be viable is if we drive the existing population out right. and then bring in some a class condo you know, development. I, I think that that's also, I mean, yes. Right. I mean, I, I started doing this because I care about what happens to my neighbors, right? Like it matters to me if they're forced out because they can't afford to live there anymore. Like, that matters to me. At the same time, I've I've been thinking about how there's just, like, all of these people that are getting into real estate for the first time, like, wanting to become developers. And, and Jumpstart has, like, trained, trained so many, like, aspiring developers. And, and, and everyone kind of goes on the web or, like, gets the same books or listens to the same blogs. Rich uh, dad, poor dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so then everyone ends up with the same strategy. And the strategy like we're saying, is unjust in in a lot of ways. But it's also, I think it's bad strategy to do the same thing that everyone else is doing in sort of a competitive system. And so there is like, we have found that it's easy. It's it's almost been easier for us because we are working in a, in sort of this niche that is, is not competitive, right? Because people don't want to deal with affordable housing. They're not going to make as much money or something like that. And so it, it's actually been really interesting to as Germantown has become sort of this like up and coming neighborhood to, to, you know, you've got folks from coming in from New York, from, New from York. Okay, yeah. Maryland, from, you know what I mean? They're, that are, that are like, now we're competing with those guys and everybody wants the like duplex or triplex and everyone wants to flip. And like, everyone kind of has this like same strategies that they're, that they're implementing, but they're competing with, with capital from like the whole like mid Atlantic region pretty much. And so it's, I think from even just like a straight up business strategy, like trying to do affordable housing makes some sense and that you're not competing with any of these people. And uh, there is, as we were saying, just like a large uh, stock of houses that's not that's not being invested in. And as people move into into the city, if that continues to be the trend, the hot neighborhoods, they do displace people, but the people who are being displaced also need to live somewhere. Right. So. Um, if the story is is just kind of like this neighborhood is hot and people are being forced out like and not like okay so what where what receives them or something like that and so i guess that's kind of where we're trying to position ourselves and i hope more 
folks like under right. <laughs> like catch that you know right, what i mean like right. that's like it's good business also right so let's be really really clear here uh, can you more clearly define or clarify what your niche is in terms of you know like no rents above x amount you you try to acquire property for what price yeah so um i mean it it, it depends the way that the hud breaks it down which and therefore philadelphia depends on um, family size. Okay. Um, so we try and, uh, let's say a family of four. Yeah. Right. So we would say like a, you know, a larger three bedroom house would be for a family of four. We would want to acquire and rehab at $75,000, right. For, for the whole thing. So it's a modest rehab and that mostly, you know, we'll find a place that we can take care of the roof. We can deal with any leaks. We can like make sure that it's safe, you know, but we don't, we don't do a lot of like aesthetic stuff where like it's it's just like a simple solid safe house and and then that'll rent for you know a thousand dollars um i would say so okay yeah nine nine fifty okay a thousand so ross what would you say i mean i know that there's so many different constituencies and you know groups that need affordable housing but here in philadelphia and and particularly here in northwest philadelphia what what group would you say has the greatest need? Would hmm. it be seniors, senior citizens? Would it be, you know, single parents with kids, uh, veterans? Um, is there anything? That's interesting. Uh, that's an interesting question. I don't. I don't know if I can speak to that. I will say that we have sort of like a, a commitment to helping preserve the the community that. Is here, right? And that's largely an African American working class community. And so, like that, it's kind of like, how do we help preserve that? And there's just this long history of of racism in real estate. And so, I I still think, if I just say history, it makes it sound like it's over. Like I still think that there's this like unconscious bias in the development world that they want young white millennials, millennials, right? And Mm -hmm. and even like I think. Millennial is millennial is like a, it's a it's a term for a whole age bracket, but it's I think it's coded in some ways. Like that the the millennial people think of in their brain is like like a young white college student, you know, and um and and so just to sort of like counteract that counterbalance that I think it's it's good to be intentional about like no that's not that's not who we're building this for or something right you know? right for so. people that are already in the neighborhood keeping them there and providing them with a, a clean affordable. Yeah. safe option. And so a, a lot of our, our tenants are related to tenants that we already have, right? So like that's like a main way of finding of Community. finding new folks. Mm-hmm. Or if we're working on on a block, there's usually people who see us working and and they're, you know, they start asking about how much is rent going to be and that okay. kind of thing. And that's another okay. way that we're able to help keep people on blocks. Okay. And we've also we're now this is we're doing our second project right now where it's a house where the tenant has is in there and has been in there for some time and we're able to so you bought it occupied yeah okay and then knowing that if somebody else bought it it's likely that they're going to be evicted likely that it's going to be developed so that the rents can go up and you know and we, we've worked both times with the tenant and be like here's the here's the rehabs that we want to do here's like this like modest increase in rent that will then pay for those or whatever and both times they've been able to stay one was a family of five and and then another one was a, a, a woman who's at, has been there a long time, but in, in a wheelchair. You know, I mean, it's just like tough. It's like tough to like like relocating is not easy, especially when it's being forced when you're on you. Yeah, yeah, when it's Even, being forced on yeah. you. And and 
you know, you get 30 days, you know, and that, that in, in particular, I think is like, uh, an interesting, it's, it's tough. It's tough to do because you have to do the construction around right, right. and stuff, but so how, have, so how have you and Frank found it? Cause I mean, you kind of touched on this, the, the whole, the racial aspect of, of things, um, you know, you and Frank are, are white, mm-hmm. um, but you live in the neighborhood, so you mm-hmm. know the neighborhood, and you've, you've, you know, you have roots here. Mm-hmm. But when you're going into these blocks and looking at properties, making offers on properties, how have you found the reaction that you've gotten from the neighbors when you're? Oh well, I mean, one of the things I love about Germantown is <laughs> I've always found everyone is is just like really kind. You know, what I mean, it's just like there's a culture of kindness and. Germantown that reminded me almost of like being in the south but when I lived in Hunting Park I lived in Fishtown and Kensington like it was that sort of stereotypical Philadelphia like rudeness or something like that you know so (laughs) (laughs) yeah people have been really really kind to us and and we also we really try and we try and hire folks to help out as much as we can on the block which makes a big difference a lot of our subs are, are from the neighborhood but you know I think it's I think it's complicated I mean I think like it is true that Frank and I are, are white and we're the owners. They're the owners. And there's like a necessary class conflict between owning and renting because as a developer, as a real estate owner, it's real estate, right? It's an asset. It's it's financial. Yeah. And that's the perspective that you end up having. And you have to make some money. Yeah. Otherwise, and it's not money. viable. Right. And And to make money, you have to think in a certain way that abstracts the actual home right it's not a home it's It's real estate but like for the tenant it's their home and it's like where they have christmas and it's where they like have dinner with their family and you know it's like it's the real tricky part of being in this field you know is that and being in this industry is that um it 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 like changes your brain to stop thinking of it as a home and thinking of it as as assets or, or whatever and and that's why a lot of injustice happens i mm-hmm. think and mm-hmm. um well ross uh, is there a particular project that you and frank have worked on that has really kind of maybe has a cautionary tale or mm. you consider a success story i don't know whether the nice town yeah so the, the the biggest project we've done so, or we're doing right now is um it used to be uh the genesis tavern uh at wayne junction it's it's right under the route one overpass over by the old xfinity comcast service center or whatever was over there it was a nuisance bar that the neighborhood organization helped get shut down from what i can tell there was uh there was like a mass shooting there maybe like eight eight or nine years ago i don't, I don't know if it's because of the shooting or what but the the building just got padlocked and like as was you know all the alcohol still on the shelves like the all the DJ equipment. I mean, just like everything, just like padlocked and and left, and it's it's been sitting there abandoned. For Had the five owner years. been killed or something? I, I he passed away, but I don't think it okay. was from from violence. Okay. I think it was just natural causes. But uh, the zoning on that had reverted to the original because it's something like after four years of not being used, you the variance goes away, and it, so it reverted to a um, single family home. Uh, even though it was still like a commercial, a, a bar, right. yeah, and there had, you know, uh, and there was apartments. There's apartments above it, um, and those were vacant as well. Yes, okay. uh huh, yeah, yeah, and you know, a, a lot of water damage from radiators freezing, and you know, just everything. You know, everything's broken. It's fun because it's 
it's like we're taking something that was bringing the community down and we're going to put affordable housing in it. But it also it required us, because we were having to go through zoning, to meet with the neighborhood organizations and really sort of articulate like what it is that we're about and what the vision is. And so it, it was not only just a challenge in terms of the figuring out the bureaucracy of zoning and um, how to do a project like this is, is bigger than the, you know, the row houses that we're doing, but also just to, yeah, like that part about like reaching out to the community and like listening to the, to what they have to say and also what we're about and trying to like, I mean, like, is this a good partnership? And it's just that, that whole piece was, is really exciting, I think. So. so the, so tell us a little bit more about the physical structure. How, how many square feet are we talking about total between the potential multifamily part and the commercial, uh, the the street front, yeah, it's um, storefront part, close to five thousand square feet. Okay, okay. Yeah. So your vision is to turn it completely into yeah, um, be... uh, apartments, mm-hmm. or will yeah, it be mixed it's... mixed re- mixed use? There's already the three apartments above, um, and then it's going to have three more apartments on the first floor, uh, and that was what the the neighborhood uh, organizations asked for. They they had um, somebody else had wanted to put a restaurant in there before us and they said no like they're like we need housing and uh it's on the nice town side of wayne junction and they have a very uh strong cohort of uh neighborhood organizations that you know nice town cdc who's done a lot of like really cool work rehabbing that sort of section um already so we, we got to work with them uh, on that and that's what they said that they wanted and okay. needed and so that's okay. we're, that's what we're doing so when you bought the property did you buy the property from an estate or you bought it from sheriff sale how did how did that come about the way that we acquired it was it was brokered by one of the folks from the title company that we oh, used okay. so uh he yeah he so knew off, it. off market yeah okay. yeah yeah okay. it was it was a it was a direct sale from uh it was i don't know it was kind of complicated the the title is clean, though, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got title insurance. Right? I think it was. I think it, what what it was was someone had lent money to the bar owner, and then had a lien on the house. And then okay. when the bar right stopped, then they ended up with this property that they didn't want, and so. And it was like, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, it worked out. It worked out. So what is the current status? Where Where is the project? Is it, um, how far along is it? The third floor apartments are, are um, getting close to finished. And then the first floor is, we're, we're sort of like focusing on it. Because the third floor, I mean, the uh, the apartments that were already there can be finished pretty quickly and rented out because they're pretty much, they're like ready to go. There's just some water damage and stuff that needs done. And then we'll start. Um, on the first floor so that like hasn't we haven't really done anything except a clean out and demo on the first floor so okay it's almost like doing two projects um but in the same building okay yeah okay so um is any of the financing through the german jumpstart germantown program are you doing financing through other they are no we um we were doing everything with jumpstart uh and then they project got too big well it was partly the size of it but uh they actually which I think this is I'm, I, this is sort of noble of of Jumpstart, but they were kind of like you guys have this figured out. Like Jumpstart money is to help people get started. Um, once you're kind of like up and rolling, go out there and find somebody else to fund you. Um, we want to like make sure that our money's being used to help you know new developers. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started using Spring Garden Lending, who I have found to be really easy to work with and. Um, I would I recommend them to 
to folks, uh, even even as an alternative to Jumpstart Germantown, just they're more expensive, but they have a relationship with Hyperion Bank where when you're approved with Spring Garden, it automatically rolls into a long-term mortgage with Hyperion. Uh, so you're sort of like pre-approved all the way down the process. So you don't have to actually go through the refinance process once once a tenant is in there. So it's pretty. It's a pretty nice product that they're offering. Um, so it kind of starts off like with a hard money construction type loan. Yeah. And then you said you can roll it into... It's very similar to Jumpstart's loan program, except this other aspect, which is a, a thing that we had a hard time with Jumpstart was once we had everything finished then you know the construction's done there's a tenant in there and then we started going out to the credit unions and the banks and and they um i don't know it just that part would was trickier than i thought it was going to be um so it's been really nice to just have that part just streamlined Mm -hmm, yeah mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. it's like you it's like it's growing like your lender is growing with you Uh uh-huh like they're growing with the project yeah yeah, it's yeah. I mean, I don't quite understand their relationship because it's two different, it's two different lenders, but it's it's pretty seamless. From, yeah, on the back end, on the back yeah. end, they've figured out from an underwriting standpoint mm-hmm. what each side will need, yeah. so that you as the borrower can right. just kind of continue to grow. Yeah, so that's good. Yeah, that. So that being said, and then also, um, because uh, we have we have a a mission, and we're we're trying to do affordable housing. Um. We've also started looking into some like different like nonprofit lending, and there is there is some uh, money out there for folks who want to be doing this this kind of work also. So I mean, this is like another reason that uh, it maybe makes some business sense. You know, I don't think you're, we're ever going to make as much money as we could mm-hmm. if we were doing other kinds of mm-hmm. development, but mm-hmm. there is, there is some advantage to it. So, anyways, yeah. So with the um, so what would you say has been the most surprising part of your journey mm. as a real estate developer? You've kind of touched on what's been the hardest part, but what would you say has been some of the most surprising? Um, the, the I, I think that um, there is a idea out there that this is like quick and easy money. Mm. And, um, and did you ever have that idea? I don't know. I, you had a little bit of stardust in your eyes. I I think Maybe I at one time? I think I I did imagine that I would also be like writing a book on the side, or you know what I mean, that I would like free up all of this this extra energy because oh, okay. I was like doing this nonprofit thing that was just like a real hustle. You know what I mean? Like I was like working the long weeks and flying all over and all that stuff. So I I did imagine this to be some sort of like a lifestyle shift, but it, it's a hustle on its own. And, and it, it, you, you build something out of nothing, uh, unless you were, you know, unless you have a lot of capital that you've sort of just either inherited or whatever it is, like you, you kind of got to make something out of nothing. And that takes a lot of work and a long, a long time. And, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. yeah. So I think that that is, it's a still... misconception that people okay. have about. But are you still having fun? Or... Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's like it's 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 a ton of fun. Okay. Um, it's 
it's it's got a lot of highs and lows i mean like making a deal is like there's so much adrenaline in that part of it you know what i mean and like finding a new property and be like this is gonna work we're gonna be able to make this happen um and then like once you get it and you're like oh now i gotta do you know four months of construction and and, you know and then now we're gonna like try and find tenants but in the meantime we're like doing all the management you know what i mean there's just like the but you and frank kind of have it down to a formula though right uh, because you're focused on the same zip code uh uh-huh and you know I mean, now you kind of, you guys kind of know what's realistic and what, yeah, and isn't I mean, going to work, it, right? So. Yeah, it, and uh, that I mean, that's the part of like uh, Frank has sort of this like brilliance of being able to like walk into a place and like on the back of an envelope be like, here's what it's going to cost, and and he's pretty pretty right on every time, which comes from being in in construction for 40 years like you can't like there's no book that teaches you how to do that you know what i mean right right um there's you know there's software and there's websites and you can kind of you can kind of do it that way but um uh but yes it 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 is true that uh it feels kind of like all right you do the math Mm -hmm. it works Mm -hmm. you make the offer it's accepted like it is it does it does get a little bit so has routine so has frank kind of um insulated you from making any catastrophic mistakes or are there any things that you know now that you wish you had known back then is there Um, anything that yeah he's kind of helped you i think that that's true i think like insulated you from yeah, I, um, we haven't really. Th- there hasn't been anything that's been terrible. We had one property that we got that had um, been flooded at one point. One of the, one of the houses, and um, looking back on flooded it, before you bought it. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and looking back, I I think we'll never do do water that, that again. That I mean, it's, yeah, it's kind of damage. like buying a used car that was in an accident. Like there's just, it just compromised the house so much. Um, and, and so we've been like the maintenance on that thing is just constant because the, the water just got into everything. And so, um, we thought we got it all to begin with, but it's just, we're, you know, that we keep minute. finding more and more things. And so the, yeah, we blow the maintenance budget on that one every every year so like that i guess that would be the worst thing i mean like what i've learned is just like if it's if there's been flood like okay stay out of it or like don't even run the numbers or it's a total like gut everything and you know but Mm -hmm. we can't we can't do that and do affordable housing like that you have to be able to right um so are you and frank do everything together now or do you are you doing your own projects on the side no it's um it's yeah me and him have done everything together okay okay mm-hmm. so right now you guys have how many uh properties in your portfolio uh the the two of us we have um 20 and then he and i because we both had stuff before we got together have some separately so, okay yeah. okay great so what would you say is your dream real estate project? Is there, is there one project that if you, you know, if all the stars aligned from capital, raising capital, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, what, what would be your dream real estate project? Um, yeah, but, so I think what my dream is less about like a single project and um, more about uh, kind of like a combination of like, um, maybe like what we were talking about earlier about the city and developers and the nonprofit sector kind of getting together to have have like a, um, a cohesive yeah like a, a cohesive plan to to a secure the affordable housing stock that currently exists and b to create more you know to to create more um and instead of 
the vision being how do we attract more, you know, wealthier, mm-hmm. more socially mobile, whatever. Like, um, like how how do how do we all get together? So, and I feel sort of like on this race against. I mean, we haven't used the word gentrification, but like whatever this like social trend that's happening right now, like I, I feel in this like race against it, you know, to be like, how do we get, how do we, how do we secure this stuff while it still exists in this like rare historical moment where you can buy stuff and you can stabilize it and then rent it for undervalued, like un- undervalue, re- really, you know right. what I mean? Under like, a market rent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like w- under what it would cost to build new or under, you know, because just, it's just, it's just, um, I don't think that it'll happen again. Like, I don't think that, I think the suburbs were a unique phenomenon in the history of like this particular country. And, and I, and so, um, I guess my, that's my dream, right. Is, is this, is this, uh, is that the, the business and the city and, and the nonprofits nonprofits get like, make this a priority. Um, and so, yeah, figuring out how to do that the fastest and most right, efficient is right. really what I'm. Yeah, because I mean, there's goes. so many, there's so many <clears throat> individuals and, and you know, small entities that are doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. So, like you said, if it would be great if there was kind of, you know, a plan, a more cohesive plan, bringing all these um, groups together to, mm-hmm. to to do something that would have a tremendous impact across, you know, a broad swath of the of mm-hmm. the of the city. Um, so, so what's on the horizon for Rigby housing in 2020? Um, what are you excited about? That's a good question. Uh, I mean, I think we're going to keep doing what we're doing. Um, it does, uh, we, now, now that we've worked in nice town on this project, I'm excited to, to, you know, continue to work there. We've been in the 19144 zip code the whole time up until now. Um, we just did a house in 19138. So I'm like excited to be working in that zip code now because it does feel like there's a lot of eyes on 19144 at the moment. And so 19138 is what neighborhood? It's East Germantown heading into West Oak Lane. Oh, okay. Um, so, you know, that side of LaSalle, east of LaSalle. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, I think, yeah, I think we're interested in, and and kind of like beginning to work in, in those neighborhoods. Do you feel like the, the nice town uh, bar project is lightning in a bottle or is that something that you could probably replicate um, elsewhere? Oh, that's, that... uh, that's a good question. I, um, your title company contact, does he have any, <laughs> have any more in his pocket? The, you know, we were, um, we were looking at uh, one of the warehouses in East Germantown um, that, uh, that would have would make an amazing affordable housing complex i mean just like a big a big project like that that it would be awesome to do big projects like that i mean it would just be really really cool because you can just do so much so fast um and and really like have an impact on what's available at the same time it's the neighbors all have really different opinions on what's good for the neighborhood and right, and right. when you start doing big projects like that it's just the visibility is a lot higher the like bureaucracy is a lot higher the the amount of 
opinions is right. you know right. so much. Right. So I don't I don't so know. So you want to fly under the radar. Continue uh, to fly under the radar. I'm, I'm happy to keep doing what okay. we're doing and okay. not make a big splash and not and okay. just like provide a good product to people and not you know and 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 just and keep doing that. So And this is um this is like a really important thing kind of community etiquette. What what advice would you give a new developer? Uh, particularly somebody who might not be living in the neighborhood that mm-hmm. they're looking to do projects in, what's the best way to start building that rapport with the neighbors to, you know, kind of convey that I mean you no harm, yeah. you know, basically? What what advice would you give to, to newbies, particularly if they don't have any sort of roots right. in that neighborhood that they're doing a project in? Um, there, I think is that, it hiring people that that live in the neighborhood or what? The the best advice we got was. Um, when talking to neighborhood organizations to to be as upfront and give like more information there's a i think there was a temptation to kind of like we'll keep something like we don't have to just like show all of our cards because like you know we know it's going to be controversial where the trash goes and we know it's going to be controversial that there's not we're not putting parking in like you know what's going to be controversial um and so there was a temptation to be like maybe they just won't ask those questions but um, the advice that we were given was just like, no, like say we know that this stuff is important. Like we wish we could do this, kind of, but just like straight up, here's all of the cards, and and we presented it that way, and I it was received really well because they didn't find out after the fact. Yeah, it didn't like, see, oh, it didn't seem like we were hiding anything, right. right? Yeah, right, it's like, right. and so I guess that would be my one piece of advice. Okay, okay, well, great. Well, we're we're almost at time. And uh, Ross, I'd like to uh, thank you for coming in. Yeah, I really, really appreciate it. Folks, we've been talking today with Ross Hennessy of Rigby Housing. Ross, if people would like to uh, commu- uh, contact you, reach out to you, what's the best way that they can find you online? Yeah, our website is uh, www.rigbyhousing.com. And you can go there. And uh, Frank and I both have our email addresses um, available on there. So that, that's probably the best. Okay, great. Well, thanks. Um, thanks again for coming in. I really yeah, appreciate thank you. it. So, folks, we've been talking to Ross Hennessy, and we've reached the end of another episode of the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show. Thanks again for listening, and um, I'll be back again next week with another fabulous interview. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.